listening to the Straight Up Saints podcast. What's up, Houdat Nation, and welcome inside another edition of the Straight Up Saints podcast. It's your host, Chris Vogel. Remember, the Straight Up Saints podcast is presented by Boo Crew Media and Ornitos Tequila. Here's to the shot takers, the ones who, like us Saints fans, believe nothing great ever happens if you don't take a chance because that's hashtag a shot worth taking. Ornitos, the proud sponsor of the Straight Up Saints podcast. Now, last podcast, we talked about the Saints' thrilling victory over the Carolina, uh, excuse me, over the Green Bay Packers this weekend going up against the Carolina Panthers. The first divisional showdown of the year should be an absolutely fun matchup. I'll break that down in just a little bit, though, because this has been a really hectic week for the Saints in terms of injury news, COVID situation, signing, all that good stuff. So I'll talk about that just a second. And as always, guys, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, drop them in the chat and I'll pull them up on the screen for those watching on YouTube, whether it's live or watching the next day. And I'll put that up for you guys in just a sec. So the first thing I want to talk about, guys, is what you see on the screen, the Saints COVID-19 situation. And obviously that is not what you wanted to hear. And it's unfortunate because I know people thought getting the COVID-19 vaccines mean we would get away from this part of the game. But unfortunately, even though we do have them and they have been very helpful, there is still a chance that you could have a breakthrough case and that could lead to other cases, which has been the case for the Saints, unfortunately. So you have eight total positive tests for the New Orleans Saints. That was reported earlier this week by Nick Underhill. It turned out to be six offensive coaches, one player, and a nutritionist. Ironically enough, that one player ended up being Michael Thomas, which is again, another tough break for him. I know a lot of people got into the specifics about whether or not he was vaccinated. And I think someone reported he is, which is good news. Uh, You know, it's just another tough break for a guy who's had a really rough year. Michael Thomas obviously has dealt with the injury news, the surgery mishap, everyone talking about him being in trade rumors. So again, another pretty much, I don't want to say setback because he already was going to miss this game anyway, but another speed bump that he has to get over, but hopefully he'll make a quick recovery and we'll see him on the field later this year, but it would not affect his week three, his week two status anyway, because he was not going to play in week two. Uh, I know you guys just put it up, so I'll get it there. When do you think the upgrade stills to the active roster? Uh, I think that's going to be possibly this weekend. I'll talk about Kenny Stills in just a bit, though, but I do think there is a chance that we see Kenny Stills play this weekend. I'll explain why uh, in a couple of minutes. So the COVID-19 situation for the Saints, not great. Sean Payton talked about it a little bit in depth today with reporters. He actually had a funny comment about it. He said there's just a group of offensive coaches there and they obviously need two negative tests to come back, I think, within 24 hours apart. So he said right now it's like Ted Lasso. He said there's three or four of them left in terms of coaches pretty much in the building. Everyone else is in a hotel, so they kind of feel like it's a uh, three- or four-man job at the moment. Not ideal for the New Orleans Saints, but we know that they're accustomed to overcoming things, and we'll see if they can do it uh, You know, this week, which will be a tough matchup with the Panthers. Now, let's get over to some good news, and that's something that I hinted about before, the Kenny Stills signing. Now, a lot of us Saints fans have been talking about Kenny Stills possibly going back to New Orleans for years. And this is not something new. This was something that I think brought up a couple of years ago when he was asked, having issues with the Dolphins. This is something that was brought up last year when the Texans waved him and Saints fans knew, hey, they need another receiver. It's Drew's last year. Why isn't he getting signed? A lot of people brought into question. Are there issues behind the scenes between Kenny Stills and Drew Brees or Kenny Stills and Sean Payton? I'm not here to get into all that drama, although I do find the time the timing of this signing quite interesting. It is a move that, in my opinion, and should be in the opinion of many, but obviously you're free to say whatever you want about this signing. I do think that it is the rare, no risk, and I'm not like literally no risk in my opinion, 
decent sized reward signing for the New Orleans Saints. Now, I'm not naive to the fact that Kenny Stills is no longer a you know an elite deep threat. The days of him getting what he did in his second year with the Saints, which was 900 plus receiving yards, those are over. But can he be maybe a 200, 300-yard guy for the Saints if he actually does have a decent role in this offense? Absolutely. And I know people are going to roll their eyes and saying 200 or 300 receiving yards is nothing. I'm telling you, you look at this wide receiver depth chart and you talk about an offense that only had 140-something passing yards last game, you can absolutely take a Kenny Stills and find a spot for him in this particular team. And you have to look at the way the Saints are built. I think the Saints are, especially this year, going to be really lethal in building all their offense off their running game. And what I mean by that is I think there's a chance for a guy like Kenny Stills who knows Sean Payton's system, knows how to really exploit that vertical passing attack, for him to make a big play or two in a game when you set up the run. And when you do that with the run and you run the ball extremely well, that sets up the play-action pass, which we've seen in the past with Kenny Stills have a lot of success. And that was with Drew Brees when Drew Brees could still sling the football. And even on Drew Brees' best day, and obviously Drew Brees' best day was something to watch, Jameis Winston has a stronger arm. I think a lot of us would agree with that. Even Drew in his prime, in terms of just strength, arm strength, Jameis obviously gets a nod. So I think there's a, a little bit of a window there for Kenny Stills, obviously, to make an impact with the Saints. We'll see on Sunday if he does get activated personally. I think it makes a lot of sense if they feel like he has a good week of practice. And that's kind of what it all depends on for them to activate him for this game. I mean, number one, he should be fresh. I mean, he's, you're not worrying about injuries right now. He is absolutely fresh. And I do think that with this offense, they can need it. They use they need another weapon. Let's put it this way. We didn't have to worry about it in week one because the Saints dominated time of possession. Their defense was lethal. The O-line was pushing people around. And the run game was pretty good. I know a lot of people didn't mention it, but Kamara had over 80 yards rushing. Tony Jones Jr. had over 50 yards rushing. The run game was really good for the Saints against the Packers. But you looked at the offensive weapons. There's a big play to Deontay Harris there, a couple of big plays to Juwan Johnson there, and that was really it for the passing attack, if you think about it. And I know a lot of us want Marquez Callaway to be great, and I'm going to talk about him in a little bit because I do think the time is coming for him to be great. They can use another weapon because you cannot go every week depending on, oh, can Chris Hogan get you know another red zone touchdown or can little Jordan Humphrey make a play or two? So I think to bring in Kenny Stills, who I still think at this age in his, you know, in his career can do something. Why not call him up if he has a good week of practice and see what he's there? And, and to your point that you guys bring up, I do believe that Winston's offense, you know, it, it, with, with him under center, it's built for guys like Kenny Stills. It's built for guys like Deontay Harris, because like I said before, when you run the football extremely well, you're going to set up those deep shots with the Saints dial up so well. Like, I know a lot of people are going to talk about, you know, it was a 31 to three game. That's why they easily dialed up that Deontay Harris play action shot. Sure. I'm sure the Packers spirit and their will just got broken at some point in that game. But I do think that the saints also, even if it wasn't 31 to three, they're running the football so well that that play action shot was going to be there for them. So I, I do really want to see stills there. And to your point, it's not just about the deep routes with stills. He can be an intermediate route guy. And we've kind of seen over the course of his career, especially over the last couple seasons, I know 2020 wasn't good, and a lot of people gave me pushback because I said that I think he could still make an impact on the Saints, and I point to the 2019 season when things are going well for the for the Texans, and obviously they did have uh, you know Hopkins still in the lineup, and they had a bunch of receivers in there. Stills played pretty well. I believe he had over 600 receiving yards, and he did make a pretty good impact. He actually had a big touchdown against the Saints on Monday night in week one of the 2019 season. So I do think, can he be a 13, 14-yard catch per reception type guy for the Saints? 
I think it's possible. That's kind of where you're hovering around in his average at this point in his career. So I'm really curious, but I'm really happy the Saints were able to mend that relationship and give it another shot. Because I think when you look at the free agent market, they can only bring in so many Chris Hogan's and Kevin White's before you're like, all right, let's just give Kenny Stills another go. I am pleased about that. We'll see what happens there. Now, before I get into the Panthers game, and I see that, you know, people have mentioned, you know, what do I think about the Panthers? Do I think it's going to be an easy game? I'll pull up those comments in just a little bit. A lot of, you know, a lot of the worry for this Panther game is something that Dustin here brought up that I just pulled it up. When the Saints win a big game, it seems like you can't enjoy it. Like, do you remember last year, the Saints blew out the, the Buccaneers week one, and then you found out that Michael Thomas hurt his ankle. And then the Saints blew out the Buccaneers later in the season. And then you find out that Drew Brees hurt his ribs. And then the next week, he completely cracked a couple of more. And then he missed time. And it almost feels like every time the Saints have a really fun performance, you're like, all right, someone got hurt. And I could bring it back to so many games before. Like even Alvin Kamara in 2019 was balling against the Seahawks, played decently well against the Cowboys. Then he gets hurt against Jacksonville and everything just kind of goes to shit that season for him. It always happens. And for the Saints, man, did it happen this week because... Not only does Marshawn Lattimore get hurt, not only does Marcus Davenport get hurt, not only does Eric McCoy get hurt, but when you look at the injury report for Wednesday, now I know it's only Wednesday, so do not be spamming your panic buttons right now. The Saints do have some injury concerns that they need to get answers on over the next couple of days, and then we'll kind of know and assess what we think a final score for this game might be, what a fair prediction might be, although I will make one later in this episode. It is worth noting. Now, I want to go to the three main ones here. The three main injuries, obviously, are to Lattimore, Davenport, Eric McCoy. Let me get Marshawn Lattimore's out of the way, just so you guys know kind of where I stand on Marshawn Lattimore's injury. Lattimore's got a chip bone in his thumb. It's ruled a week-to-week injury. A lot of doctors are kind of saying you kind of wait a week or two. So just the blunt force trauma that you get on that thumb, it's not a factor when that does happen. And I kind of am very much okay with that because the way the Saints' schedule is set up, I don't necessarily think that they need Lattimore to play to win the next two games especially the Patriots game. The Patriots wide receiving core is not very good. But more importantly, you just made a really big investment in Lattimore. And I think this matters more than the schedule. When you invest as much money as you did in Marshawn Lattimore, and rightfully so, because I was one of those people who think that Marshawn's worth the money. Now, I know the consistency issues concern fans, but my question and my, I think, rebuttal to Saints fans who are always worried about paying Lattimore was this. Okay, if you don't pay Lattimore, what's your alternative? And we know the Saints aren't necessarily great at finding cornerbacks. So that's why I always said, I'd rather deal with what you know in Lattimore than go to the alternative and go with the unknown because that scares the hell out of me. But anyway, you paid Lattimore a lot of money. It would be, in my opinion, flat out stupid to rush him while he's injured because one, if he's playing with the cast, you're probably not getting any, any interceptions from him if there is an intercept, interceptable pass, I should say, thrown his way. And against Sam Darnold, that is very possible. And against... Uh, Mac Jones, a rookie quarterback, that is possible. And against Daniel Jones in week four, that is definitely possible. So do you want to hurt your investment for not only this year, but for the future? I just don't think it's worth it. And I think when you look at the structure of his injury, if it's a week to week thing and man, you have an early buy and he only needs a week or two to be, I'm not gonna say hundred percent, but maybe 90, 95%. I think it's really, in my opinion, I think it's worth it. And the other reason why I think it's worth it to sit Lattimore is you have Paulson Adebo who absolutely balled out. And I posted a video about it earlier this week. So if you want, you can go back and kind of see that mini, I don't want to say rant because it was good. I was raving, if anything, about Adebo. I thought his performance against the Packers was stellar. And now you got Bradley Roby who just had his first Saints practice. They brought him in to be cornerback too. 
and Adebo looked like cornerback two on Sunday. So, man, if you got two cornerback twos who look pretty good, I think they could hold down the fort for two weeks if they need to. And then when Lattimore comes back, this is going to be a really talented secondary. So I think that's the, the good news. Let's go to the other two. Cause I think Lattimore's situation, I think we all kind of agree on. If you got to rest him, rest him. If he wants to play, you think he could play. All right, play him. But I do think resting him is a smart call here. Eric McCoy, man, does this one kind of scare me? Because I think Eric McCoy is one of the most underrated offensive linemen in all of football. And I think he was on pace for what could be an all pro slash pro bowl season at center, but it's a calf strain. They're saying you could be out until the week six bye. which if that's the case at that point, you hold him through the bye, and he comes back for that Seahawks game on October 25th, which I'm more than okay with. But how did the Saints respond? Now, the good news is that the Saints lost Eric McCoy early in the Packers game. And why do I say that's good news? You saw that they kind of didn't miss a beat without him, which just shows how dominant they were and able to just push the Packers in the trenches. And that's kind of why they were able to be so dominant on Sunday and win 38 to three. How does that kind of sustain? And I'm going to talk about that with the Panthers defensive line later in this podcast, but that is an important thing because if the Saints O-line, specifically in the interior, continues to play well, and I know Throckmorton played really, really well in relief duty, and the Saints went out and got Austin Ryder from the Chiefs, there are options there for the Saints, and they've done actually a really good job of addressing that. I know as soon as McCoy went down, the Saints thought about bringing in reinforcements. you got to remember Will Claps hurt. They don't really know who will be their center. So I do, do really think that the Saints have a chance here to kind of maintain a really good offensive line performance. I'm just really curious, though. Does Ruiz stay at center, which a lot of people debated about? Should they make that move? And who plays guard if Ruiz is at center? I think Throckmorton would be the, the, the bet there. But the more interesting question is, if Ruiz plays guard and doesn't move to center, which he did in week one, then what are the Saints going to do at that center spot? I think that's more interesting. Do you play and start a guy who you signed this week? That's kind of a tough challenge, but I think these are questions that the Saints will answer and find ways to kind of, I want to say, massage that issue because I think the Saints are really good problem solvers, and I think they'll continue to show that they're really good problem solvers. But as for Ruiz, I think a lot of people were hard on him his rookie year, including myself, but a lot of people like me were very okay with the pick when it happened because of one, his versatility, and two, the fact that it is the NFL, and you got to be okay with the, with him having a rough rookie season, understanding that he needed that full camp. He needed to learn the guard position. And guess what? If all hell breaks loose and he has to go from guard to center, well, guess what? He was a, a top recruit at center and a top center in college. So he is, in my opinion, a natural fit at center who is learning how to play guard and learning how to do it, I think, really well on the fly, which is awesome. So I think Ruiz is kind of the saving grace in the McCoy injury. Like, I want Eric McCoy on the field. And I think the Saints are going to miss Eric McCoy. But I think when you have a guard who can play center, but also can stick a guard if he needs to, that's a luxury. And I think the Saints are going to figure that out. And I think the Saints are going to continue to have a very, very steady offensive line. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. I know you guys mentioned uh, David DeCastro. I kind of think that ship has sailed for him in terms of just playing in the NFL. I think he's had a lot of injuries. I think retirement's weighed on him. And he's had such a good career. So I'm totally okay with him calling it. And as for Ruiz, yeah, I kind of think that, you know, in my opinion, I say you play Ruiz at center week two. You keep Throckmorton at guard where it was. And you kind of just stick with momentum. If it's not broke, don't fix it. And maybe in a week or two, you can make that change if you feel like your new center is up to speed and that's fine. I'm uh, going to bring my man Alex Washington up here because that just cracks me up. Uh, everyone wanted Kenny Stills back. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here waiting for Nick Toon. Nick Toon is uh, one of those receivers that just didn't pan out. I feel like usually Saints receivers who they draft pan out. Nick Toon wasn't one of them, which is hilarious because in college he was a beast. 
and us Saints fans just kind of assumed it would work out. And I, I think he had one good game in his NFL career. So yeah, if the Saints want to bring back a receiver, why don't they bring back uh, Nick Toon, another reunion uh, on board for the Saints? Now, I was talking about the injuries. I got to stick here real quick, unfortunately, because it was the biggest thing for the Saints. Marcus Davenport, a pectoral strain. He's going to miss some time, but NFL Network's Ian Rappaport says it is not going to be as long as people thought. And boy, is that good news because Davenport was amazing in week one. I don't think anyone could deny that. And I think we all kind of had the feeling. And if you didn't, then you weren't listening to the podcast. Cause I said so many times that I think this was the breakout year for Davenport, but now I look stupid because he got hurt. So if you weren't listening, then I guess good for you. But Davenport was happy, you know, in my opinion, having a on pace to be a breakout candidate this year gets hurt. The good news though, is that it's not season ending because when it happened, a lot of people kind of made it out to be like, it could be a long-term slash season ending injury. But if Davenport could come back after the bye, we'll, we'll roll the dice and kind of see. Now, could he get re-injured? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, his injury history is not great. But the fact that it's not season-ending, I'm going to take that as a win. And I know it sounds stupid, but you know what? You got to just kind of be reasonable with these situations. And when you have an injury-prone player, if he gets hurt, you can't put on a shocked face. You should just be kind of saying it's par for the course. But the fact that it's not season-ending, that is obviously good. Now, those aren't the only three injuries for the Saints, but those, those are the three main ones because there were other names on the injury report for Wednesday's practice. Quan Alexander did not participate. He had an elbow injury. The same would be said for Tano Passigno, who had a calf injury. Marshall Lattimore, which is the obvious hand injury. Trevor Simeon, who's dealing with a non-COVID-19 related illness. Pete Werner with a hamstring injury, which is a concern because I'm starting to think we're not going to see a lot of Pete Werner this year, which is really disappointing. And then you also have PJ Williams with a back injury and then CJ Gardner-Johnson and Chase Hansen were limited participants. Wouldn't worry about them too much yet. I think we'll see what happens there. Uh, and I do agree. I thought, as you guys call him to first, aka Marcus Davenport, I thought he was going to absolutely kill it this season. But it does open the door, which leads me to kind of this Panthers game, now that we got the injury report out of the way, for Peyton Turner. Now, do I think Peyton Turner is going to be a breakout star? No. But here's what I can tell you about Peyton Turner, guys. Peyton Turner is not injured. Peyton Turner was not hurt for week one. The reason he didn't play in week one from what everyone's been told is that he was getting up to speed. He was getting his legs under him because he missed a lot of training camp and the Saints didn't feel like they needed to put him in week one. And guess what? They didn't. I mean, they were dominant on the defensive line without Peyton Turner in there. But now that Marcus Davenport's hurt and now that the Saints have more than seven guys injured, which means a lot of the guys who didn't practice, you would imagine are going to be out for Sunday. You know, McCoy's going to be out. You know, Davenport's going to be out. And frankly, I would not be surprised if Pete Werner's out at this rate because they have linebacker depth. And it wouldn't also shock me if Lattimore's out. I would kind of expect him to be out. So those are four guys that are going to be out already. Turner's not on the injury report. He is fully healthy. He's getting his legs under him. He's starting to kind of grasp, you know, what the Saints want out of their D-line and what they expect on game day. I think the stars kind of align for Peyton Turner to play in week two. I expect him to play in week two. I'm really excited to see. Now, is his role going to be huge? My guess is no. I really don't think that we're going to see a lot of Peyton Turner in week two because if Tano Passanio is healthy and Cam's there and Granderson's there, I don't really know where he's going to fit into the equation as much. I'm sure the Saints will find ways to get him on there, but I can see his role not being as big as we expected. However, it just takes one or two big plays from Peyton Turner for us to really buy into what he can be as a player and for the Saints to kind of buy in as to expanding his role and giving him more snaps and giving him more time. So I'm really excited. I think he's going to play. I don't think he's going to be the only person making their Saints debut because I do think we're going to see Bradley Roby and I think we're going to see a lot of Bradley Roby on Sunday against the Panthers. So I am excited. 
He is healthy. He will play in week two, in my opinion. Now, that is not official. That is just what I'm going off by. But I think it kind of seems like a safe bet to say that Peyton Turner will play in week two against the Panthers. And hell, is that good news for the Saints who can use good news? Because lately, it just seems like we're talking about who's going down, not who's coming up. So I am very, very, very excited about that. Now, you guys mentioned we haven't seen much of Pete Werner. Do we think he plays in week two? I'm going to tell you guys this. And I know it's not what you guys want to hear. And if I'm wrong, I will be very happy because it's one of those things that you're going to call from week two. And it's a, it might be an overreaction or it might be a too early prediction. I say way too early prediction would be the better way of putting it, not an overreaction. But I am a little worried that Pete Werner is going to be this year's Zach Bond. And what do I mean by that? I mean, someone who missed so much time early with injuries that he didn't get to catch up in time to make him play or make an impact on the season. Now, Zach Bond last year, the only place he really made were on special teams. And that was really unfortunate for a guy that the Saints traded up to get and a guy who a lot of us Saints fans thought he might have been the missing piece at linebacker. Well, guess what? Zach Bond this year is balling out. And to the point that you just brought up in the comment, I just brought up on the screen. If you're watching on YouTube or live stream on Facebook, Twitter, and wherever you listen to the podcast, Zach Bond is not a preseason wonder. Zach Bond looked outstanding against the Packers. And I actually think Zach Bond was so good, but because his, you know, his numbers and what he did didn't just pop up on the stat sheet. A lot of people just kind of missed what he did on Sunday, but man, he neutralized the Packers tight end and he really showed his sideline to sideline range, which shows why the saints wanted to make him an off ball linebacker. So I was really pleased with Zach Bond. Now bringing it full circle with Pete Warner. I'm afraid that with Quan Alexander and Demario Davis and Zach Bond and Chase Hansen and Andrew Dowell, I think it's really hard for Pete Warner to find playing time this year, which is really unfortunate for a guy at Ohio state who I really liked as a prospect. And I really liked the pick and I understood why the saints made the pick. And that doesn't mean that Pete Warner is not going to play this year, guys, but it, it means that he's going to fight an uphill battle to get playing time and to make an impact on this Saints team in 2021. That doesn't mean he's a bust. That doesn't mean that he won't be good in a year from now or even later this year or even two years from now. But right now, the way I see it, I think Pete Warner is this year's Zach Bond from 2020. And I think that is really, really unfortunate because, man, Pete Warner can play. So I, I want to see him in this defense, but it's going to be hard. But you know what? It's also a testament to the Saints for finding depth at linebacker, a position that they've struggled to do. Now it's actually strength of this football team. So it goes both ways because if Pete Warner could get up to strength while he is out and while he's not getting playing time, you are an injury away from someone else from him getting on the field. So just be ready. If you're Pete Warner, your number will be called, whether it's this year, next year, whenever it might be, but you got to be ready and you got to make sure that when that number is called, you can make a play. Now, as for Bond, I do agree. I think that Bond is someone who the Saints are going to have a big role for as the season goes on. I really do think the Saints are going to want to get him on the field more. And I think Zach Bond is, is one of those athletic linebackers that he could become, I'm not trying to compare him to Taysom Hill, but a Swiss Army knife for your defense because he could get after the quarterback. He could stop the run. He could get out in coverage. If he becomes this somewhat tight end eraser for the Saints, which is going to be hard to do, but if he could do that, or he can be a mix of covering in the flats and also getting after the quarterback, the Saints have themselves a weapon on defense, which is going to be really interesting. And more importantly for Quan Alexander, it's going to be interesting. How does he play against, in my opinion, inferior quarterback play? And why am I mentioning inferior quarterback play? No, I am not taking a shot at Sam Darnold, but I am stating the facts that the Saints this week are going to play a lesser quarterback than Aaron Rodgers, who is really good at manipulating defenses with his eyes. Sam Darnold, not necessarily so much, but Sam Darnold does look a lot better. And now let's break that down. And let's get into not just the three keys to victory, which I'll talk about in just a minute, but this Saints-Panthers game in general. It's the first 
divisional matchup for the Saints this year. It's going to be really, really different from both sides because the Saints missing a lot of guys, also missing Drew Brees, who has owned the Panthers the last couple of years. So that obviously is going to change things. And the Panthers won their season opener just like the Saints, but not in the same fashion. The Saints obviously we know just beat the living crap out of the Packers. The Panthers got out to a really nice 16-0 start against the Jets, kind of faltered towards the end, were able to hold on for a 19-14 victory. Sam Darnold was the big story, though, in that one. He went 24 of 35 for 279 yards, a touchdown through the air, also a touchdown on the ground. So he showed his versatility and his ability to move, which is actually important because, remember, the Saints D-line, Sam Darnold, you might consider him a statue. He is not. He does have a little bit of mobility to him and escapability out of the pocket, and the Saints are going to be able, or need to be able, I should say, to kind of slow down that part of his game. So I want to kind of keep an eye out on Sam Darnold for that regard. Now, for Darnold, there there are concerns still. I'm not one of those people who's ready to just drink the Kool-Aid and say that Sam Darnold is absolutely fixed and Adam Gase was the problem. I'm not ready to say that, but he does look a lot better than Joe Brady's system through one game. He looked really good on his deep passes. I think Pro Football Focus gave him the top three grade of the week with a 93.7 deep passing grade, which is pretty good. I believe Brady was one of the two names above him. So you know you're in good class when you're mentioned with Brady, obviously speaking. But that is obviously a concern concern for the Saints defense. Where the Saints can have an advantage against Sam Darnold, well, I went back and I rewatched. I know you're probably saying, why did you rewatch? So as you guys know, I'm from New York. I watched the Jets-Panthers game before the Saints-Packers game, I was watching it. And I and I know it sounds crazy. I was kind of doing some early week scouting in advance, knowing the Saints were going to play the Panthers. I wanted to kind of see what they look like. And the one thing I noticed from Darnold, and it doesn't really surprise me because it's something that I've seen through his career with the Jets, is he's not good versus pressure. He made maybe one throw against pressure in, you know, in last Sunday's game that I thought was good, but it actually ended up being OPI and Terrace Marshall. So they didn't get anything out of anyway. Other than that, I thought he made a lot of flat-footed throws when he faced pressure. I thought he rushed the ball out, made some sloppy decisions. A lot of the passes came up high. And that's good news for the Saints because I think Dennis Allen, who did not go after Rodgers with a bunch of blitz schemes, could get a little bit more aggressive if he wants to against Sam Darnold and maybe force him into a couple mistakes. Because remember, as talented as Sam Darnold is, he is still, until proven otherwise, a quarterback who's one of those young guys that obviously isn't great against pressure. So if you're New Orleans... Can you get pressure on Darnold? If you can, what does that look like for your defense? That could be an opportunity there for maybe another Marcus Williams interception, maybe a batted pass interception. There are opportunities there for the Saints, but you need to make sure you get pressure on Darnold. And I think with Davenport injured, with Tano Passanio on the injury report, what better way than to scheme up pressure with blitzes, whether it's Demario up the A-gap or even using a guy like Juan Alexander or even Zach Bond, who I mentioned before. I think you're going to need to be creative for the Saints. And I think it's important to get creative against the Sam Darnold because it's easier to trick a Sam Darnold than it is to trick an Aaron Rodgers. And somehow the Saints actually did a good job of, at times, besting Aaron Rodgers in that mental battle. So if Dennis Allen's on his game again, I think the Saints defense is going to be able to look pretty good against Sam Darnold. Now, I still expect Sam Darnold to have a couple of nice flashy plays there because even in his worst performances, he's going to make a throw or two that wows you. I'm telling you guys from now. There is going to be a throw in this game from Sam Darnold, whether it's on the run or in the pocket where he's facing pressure, where he's going to make a hell of a throw and you're going to have to do nothing but tip your cap. But I do think that if you're the New Orleans Saints, it is paramount, and that is my number one key to victory, is creating pressure on Darnold. This is a guy who did admit that he was seeing ghosts on a Monday night football game against the Patriots. I know he wants to put it in the past. I don't blame him. Hell, I would put it in the past immediately if I were him. But in order to put it in the past, you got to prove it's in the past. And if you're the New Orleans Saints, 
you got to show that it's still there. Somewhere inside, Sam Darnold is still kind of worried about facing that pressure. So I do think that who, Darnold, who did a good job of not throwing an interception in week one, I do think there's a very strong chance he throws an interception in week two. And I think that's because the Saints do a good job of manufacturing pressure. And that's going to be a number one key for me. And I really do think there's a good chance that they could that he could throw a pick in this game. And if he does, obviously that's going to help the Saints. Extra possession. I'm really intrigued. Now, the second key, and this is important. I'm going to the other side of the ball. How does your O-line hold up, specifically in the interior? Now, I know the Jets' O-line isn't good, and that's why they were giving up constant pressures to the Carolina Panthers, but I'm not going to be one of those people who watches the Panthers game and my takeaway is, oh, the Jets' O-line stunk, that's why they did well. No, I think it's kind of a two-part thing. Yeah, the Jets' O-line is not good, but you still got to get past your man, and the Panthers did that, and they constantly had Zach Wilson in situations where he was throwing on the run, or he had a drop back, or he was constantly moving five, ten yards past the line of scrimmage just to get away from the D-line. So how does the O-line of the Saints hold up? And I think it's not just the interior, but how does the the you know the tackles for the Saints do, especially against a guy like Brian Burns, who is a special talent, how do they play? If the Saints tackles continue to play the way they played for the last couple of years, you probably don't worry about Brian Burns. But remember, when Armstead couldn't play against the Saints and it was Hurst, Brian Burns gave him problems, like big-time problems. So I want to see how Armstead versus Burns goes. I think that's going to be a really nice matchup to watch if you're a Saints fan or even a Panthers fan. I think it's going to be fun for both fans. So I want to watch that. And obviously, like I mentioned before, the interior, going up against Derek Brown and those boys, you want to do a good job. You want to continue to establish that dominance that you had against the Packers. It's going to be really tough. I do not think the Saints are going to be able to push the Panthers' D-line like they pushed the Packers' D-line. But do I think that I would give them the edge? I do think at this given moment, if they can neutralize Brian Burns to a certain extent, I would give the edge to the Saints, but that is absolutely a key for them. They have to make sure that Brian Burns doesn't wreck the game plan because he's that talented of a pass rusher, in my opinion. Now, the third key, and probably the one that you guys are going to be most excited to watch outside of Sam Darnold getting pressure on him, how does the cornerback play for the Saints show up, especially if Lattimore's not in there? Now, let's just go under the assumption that Lattimore doesn't play. I think it's just... It's easier for me to assess this if I'm just going under the assumption he plays. And if he plays, awesome. Because, man, would that be a really fun three of the Saints' best corners versus the the Panthers trio, which I really like with Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, and Terrace Marshall, if Lattimore's not there. Terrace Marshall might be in the slot a little bit. If that's the case, I think C.J. Gardner-Johnson can do his thing. How do Adebo and Bradley Roby play against Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. Now, Robbie Anderson did not make a huge impact against the Jets in terms of production and and consistency, but he did have a 50-plus yard touchdown. That was basically all of his production, and it was on one play. And remember last year, the Saints gave up a huge play to DJ Moore off miscommunication between Marcus Williams and PJ Williams. How does that happen this year? If it does, I don't think it will. I think Marcus Williams back then was making mistakes. I kind of think he's eliminated that part of his game, which is awesome to see. How does Roby, in his first game as a Saint, and Adebo, a follow-up off of, off of what was an amazing debut. How do they look? Because, yes, Devontae Adams is way better than DJ Moore or Robbie Anderson. But Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, objectively speaking as a duo, is better than Valdez Scantling and Devontae Adams. So I'm really, really interested to see if Roby does his job, let's say, against a DJ Moore or against a Robbie Anderson, how does Adebo play against the other? Like, I'm obviously going to be really intrigued to see how Roby plays because it's his Saints debut and the Saints traded a third round pick for him. So at some form, there is an investment that was made and you really hope that the Saints do a good job there. But man, 
I really want to see what Adebo does because I was so thrilled with the way Paulson Debo played that I want to see a follow-up. I want to see if there's an encore to that. And if there is, not only does Adebo make the case that the Saints did a great job yet again of getting a third-round stud, but Adebo makes the argument that when Lattimore comes back, he's the cornerback too. So I think that's really fun to kind of see Roby and Adebo who they got a lot of play for. Not only are you playing for money and you're playing for pride and you're playing for your team, you're playing for a starting spot because, man, you know when Lattimore comes back, the both of you aren't starting. Now, they'll both get playing time, but Adebo or Roby needs to win that spot. So how do Adebo and Roby play against Anderson and Moore? Probably the most fun matchup that you're going to see. I know a lot of people want to hear about Kamara versus a Shaq Thompson or, or stuff like that, but, man, it, it's the two corners versus the top two wide receivers, and I think that is going to be really, really interesting. And I know you Saints fans obviously are very confident in Adebo, I know some of you guys are very confident in Roby. Well, man, I both, I both, you know, I hope they both play well, especially Adebo, because I really think that there is a talent level there that Chris Richard might be able to unlock. And if he does, it's going to be fun. Because remember, guys, and I've, I've said it so many times, I was panicking about the cornerback room a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Now I'm looking at it, and there are plenty of reasons to be cautiously optimistic, but it all starts Sunday. Now I'm going to give you my breakout player prediction. And I'm also going to tell you who I think wins this game. Now, last week, admittedly so, I did actually think the Packers were going to win. And I, you know, I I'm on, I would say I ate humble pie, but you know I was thrilled. And I, I said it would be close. I was wrong on that too. So it was a blowout. I was wrong, and I was glad to be wrong. I think for this one, in terms of breakout player, a lot of Saints fans wanted to know, where was Marquez Callaway? Because he was the breakout star of the preseason, and everyone thought that he was just going to waltz in and just light up the Packers, and that wasn't the case. He had one catch, and it was not what fans wanted to see. Well, I think this is the week that Marquez Callaway proves that all the training camp hype, all the preseason hype, it's validated. I think he's going to play extremely well against a secondary that struggled to stop Corey Davis, a secondary that struggled to stop Braxton Berrios, and a secondary that, truthfully speaking, I thought didn't look that good against the Jets. And remember, Corey Davis, I think, is obviously a better receiver than Marquez Callaway. And I don't know if Marquez Callaway can replicate his five catches for 97 yards and two touchdowns stat line that Corey Davis put up in week one. But I think opportunity is there. And I think the opportunity is there for Callaway to have, for now, his best game of the season. I would not be surprised if Callaway has, let's say, I'm going to go six catches for 84 yards and a score. I think that is very possible, Marquez Callaway. Now, I'm not saying if you're playing fantasy football to just plug him into your lineup and do that. But I'm also not saying not to because I do think Mount Marcus Callaway is going to have a breakout game and finally show that is legit. And, and for people who want to know why I am very confident in this, just remember last year what Marquez Callaway's first breakout game was against the Carolina Panthers. And he was the number one wide receiver because the Saints didn't have Michael Thomas and the Saints didn't have Emmanuel Sanders. And Callaway in, went in there and man, he did that thing. You know, he, he was great. And I'll actually pull up the stat line from last, you know, last year's game just because I am curious in that one. Marquez Callaway had eight catches for 75 yards. So I think that Callaway is going to be really, really good. He's not going up like you guys mentioned, a Jair Alexander, and that is a big plus. So I think Callaway is going to be my breakout player of the game. As for the scoreline, I think the Saints are going to win this one. Man, I don't feel necessarily confident in the sense that I hate division games. Absolutely hate them. Like, remember a couple of years ago when the Saints just got blown out by the Falcons in a game they should have won? It's tough. Like, I hate picking divisional games. But... I'm going to give the edge to the Saints because I do think that as long as they're on the road here, there's an edge to them. There's a no one cares about you or feels bad about you. You got to go in there and do your work. And I think the Saints are using that to their advantage. I do think that the Panthers have vulnerabilities. And while they are a better team, 
the Panthers didn't show me enough against a Jets team that is seriously depleted by injuries to say, oh, yes, they absolutely are ready to take on the Saints. Now, I do think it's going to be close. I would not be shocked if the Saints only win this game by like 27 to 24 or 24 to 20, a score of that sort. I do think, though, the Saints are going to move to 2-0. It would not shock the hell out of me if they lost because it's a divisional game. They are depleted right now. And it is another road game. And, and probably the first true road game because the Jacksonville game was technically a home game. But again, the Green Bay fans just overtook that stadium. Yet again, though, I, I am going to go Saints. I do think that there is a chance for an upset here. Not a huge upset because it's divisional. And the Saints are only three and a half point favorites anyway. But I, I think there is a motivation factor here for the Saints that they are just trying to use their unfortunate situation to just fuel this fire earlier in the season. And I think it's very possible. And again, it all comes down to time and possession, getting pressure on Sam Darnold, winning your battles against the corners. And of course, Jameis Winston needs to play well. And I think he can play well. I'm not, I don't think we've reached that point yet where I'm going to be like, oh, I don't know if Winston can, can play well enough for them to win. No, he played really well in week one. Do I think he's going to have five touchdown passes again? No. Do I think he can make a lot of good plays through the air though? Yes. So I'm going to go Saints by a final score. Let's say I will go with a very weird score here. I'm going to go 26 to 21. I don't necessarily feel great about that score that I just put, uh, you know, went with, but I, I do think the Saints win this game. We'll see what happens. So obviously I will be covering it live, tweeting for you guys uh, as always. I'm curious though, what goes on in that game? Because I think that's going to be a really interesting test for the Saints. And look, if they get another blowout victory, who knows, man, I'm going to have to reassess this team, but we'll see what happens. Really happy about this one. Uh, you know, what's leading up to this game. And I think it's going to be a really fun battle for you Saints fans, but that's going to do it for this edition of the straight up Saints podcast. I want to thank you guys as always for tuning in, leaving your questions and comments during the show. So I can pull them up on the screen. I always appreciate that. And then obviously guys, when the Saints Panthers game finishes, I will go live. Uh, and since you guys mentioned it, who you got for tomorrow, I'm going to just throw this in here for the live stream. Uh, I think tomorrow is Washington versus Giants. I'm going to go Washington. I think that Washington's D-line is going to be ferocious. And I actually do think that Taylor Heineke is one of the better backups in the league. I do think he could give the Giants some problems. They did struggle with Teddy Bridgewater. Obviously, Heineke's not as good as Bridgewater. But man, I don't. I do not trust the Giants right now. They put up uh, 13 points against the Broncos defense. I don't know if they'll have a success against Washington's defense, which has a ferocious front. Now, back to it, guys. Anyway, uh, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Straight Up Saints podcast. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. I'll have more content in the very near future. I'll probably have a video up before the game, kind of keying on a free, uh, a really important matchup or a player who I believe will have a, a breakout game like a Marquez Callaway, who I mentioned. And then I'll have the recap pod. Fingers crossed that it'll be another victory recap pod for the New Orleans Saints. But I appreciate you guys. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and get and stay tuned for more football because this weekend we're going to get a fun showdown between the New Orleans Saints and the Carolina Panthers. You're listening to the Straight Up Saints podcast.